we are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It is called Point Game with John Wall and C.J. Toledano. It is an insider look at the NBA and the culture surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and the number one pick in the 2010 NBA Draft, John Wall, will give his unique perspective on hot topics in the league and tell the best behind-the-scenes stories from his time in the NBA. So check out Point Game with John Wall and C.J. Teledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elliot Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. Join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. We gather a seasoned elder, myself as the middle generation, and a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations, prepare to engage or hear perspectives that literally no one else has had. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Wake that ass up in the morning. The Breakfast Club. Morning, everybody. It's DJ Envy, Angela Yee, Charlemagne the Guy. We are The Breakfast Club. We got a special guest in the building. Yes, indeed. Off, uh, Charlemagne's Mental Wealth Expo. And today is uh, Mental Health Day? World Mental Health Day is today, 1010. That's right. We have Dr. Alfie. Welcome. Hi, thank you. Queen thank Dr. You. Alfie. Thank the, you. The real brains and uh, leader behind the Mental Wealth Expo. Hey. Yeah, Dr. Alfie Breland Noble. Thank Good morning. You. How are you this morning? I am, what do you say, blessed and highly favored? Blessed, black, and highly favored. There you go. Absolutely. Blessed, black, and highly favored. So for yes. people that don't know, what is uh, World Mental Health Day? So World Mental Health Day was something founded uh, many years ago to give us an opportunity to recognize the importance, obviously, of mental health, right? Mm-hmm. So the issue is, you know, with so much stigma around mental health, particularly in our communities, we'll keep it real, um, I think that there was a real push and a desire to make sure that we acknowledge and uplift mental health and have it on the same pedestal as we do physical health. So every year on October 10th, we recognize and celebrate and uplift and try to have a dedicated day just to focus on mental health conversations. So what should we be doing today? Like, what's, what's what's the significance of the day outside of, like, what should we be doing? Yeah, I think exactly what we're doing right now is, like, mm-hmm. allowing space for the conversation, you know? And I think we have to start in our homes. 
like I said, for us as black people, people of color, you know, we don't, these are not things that we talk about every day outside of you all because you mm-hmm. do a good job of making sure that we uplift these conversations. But I think one thing we can do is just take a moment and reflect on, like, how, how are we taking care of our own mental health? What kinds of things are we doing to take care of our loved ones' mental health? What kind of things are we allowing into our space that take away from our mental health? And then just kind of make a plan, like one little thing you can do every day to uplift and center your own mental health and the mental health of the people that you care about. Mm-hmm. That's what we can do. I was going to ask, you know, with, with everything going on with mental health and uh, police shooting people, police being called for, for yes. mental health calls, yes. what do you think is, is, is a better way of doing that? Because sometimes, you know, people feel threatened. You know, yes. maybe yes. Uh, somebody in their family's having a breakdown and they pick up a knife. Uh, the family wants to be protected and wants to make sure that their family member is safe not necessarily shot. So what would you recommend during those times? Because people are scared to call the police. That's right. So what I'm going to tell you, I appreciate deeply about that question, is that's a cultural question, right? Mm -hmm. Because not all communities have that fear. But us as black people and many other communities of color, they absolutely have that fear, and it's a justified fear. So when we see these things happening in the public eye, we call that vicarious trauma. Even though we haven't experienced it, we're Mm -hmm. watching someone experience it, and we can have some of the same reactions. So in terms of what do we do, there are some innovative programs out there in the world. I know they have it in Washington State. There are a couple other places where instead of sending out police officers for a mental health crisis, they're sending out social workers, right? And that's the idea is to send a trained mental health professional out to the family Mm -hmm. or out to the location rather than sending police who are not necessarily trained in how to deal with mental health crises. Mm -hmm. I think another thing that we can do is we can always be aware of what's going on with our family members because we all know some of those triggers, you know, that impact our family members. We know the kinds of things that we can do to help keep them calm. We know the things that we can do to de-escalate sometimes. And if we don't know those things, like how do we de-escalate somebody when they're in crisis, when you see them looking at that knife headed toward to pick it up, how do you bring them back down to a place of peace so that that's not the thing that they go to. And I think if we don't take time to try to real be very conscious about what our triggers are, about what our family members' triggers are, about the kinds of dynamics that are happening in our families that can escalate to those kinds of things, it puts us at a disadvantage because stuff will get out of control really quickly. So I really do think it is a combination of us advocating as a public for having somebody other than police go out for mental health crises. It is finding other ways to take care of ourselves on a day-to-day basis so that you're doing more prevention, right, than intervention. It's too late when it's already got escalated and they're reaching for the knife. But if you can help that person learn how to manage emotions, avoid triggers, understand triggers, you can sort of stave off that possibility that you're going to get into those big crises. You can't prevent them all, but you can certainly try to prevent some of them. I've heard you talk about uh, cultural warning signs yeah. for suicide. What, what are some of those warning signs? Absolutely. So I think for us as black people, we have to be conscious of the person is not always going to look depressed and down and sad. Sometimes people are going to look angry. Mm-hmm. Right. And that consistent, persistent anger is something that we want to pay attention to. That can be a sign of somebody who's just like at their wits end. I don't want to deal with it anymore. I think as well, what in our community, we don't necessarily talk about being depressed. We're not going to use those words. We may see, say things like, you know, I'm just in my feelings or, you know, I don't know what's wrong with me. Just something ain't, like my mom used to say, nothing ain't wrong, but something ain't right. Um, I think that we also have to pay attention to the ways in which people are discouraged from showing sadness, Mm -hmm. right? Because sadness makes you look weak. 
And so that comes back to this issue of anger. So if somebody is really struggling, they may not tell the people around them that they're feeling sad. What you're going to get instead is maybe they're withdrawn. Maybe they're super irritable. You're going to get these other things. I think some of the signs that are real clear signals when people start giving stuff away. Right. When they stop Mm. engaging in activities and behaviors that they used to. I have a colleague. He was a friend of a group of my friends. um, And right before he died by suicide, this is probably 12 years ago. um, He had some music equipment that he really loved. He started selling the equipment and giving it away. And then within maybe a week, he had died by suicide in a park. Mm -hmm. Right. And so when you're seeing a person just sort of their life is just starting to shrink they're getting more and more isolated. They don't want to be with people. They don't want to do things that they used to do. Um, they're just looking just kind of flat, right? There's no emotion. They don't find any joy in their life. Those are things that I think give us a clear idea that that person may not want to be with us anymore, right? Mm-hmm. And but that you, they may want to take their life. I was going to say, but, you know, a lot, problem with that is is somebody like yourself, or yeah. maybe even Charlemagne, yeah. might know the terms. A lot of people don't know the terms. Yes. Like, you know, I could I could be sad today, you know. What yes. I mean, I might have woke up speaking to my grandmother and just sad. Yes, that doesn't mean I'm necessarily depressed. It does or not. I could wake up being depressed That's and I'm right. thinking I'm sad. That's right. I don't know if we necessarily know the signs of when when people have those problems. You know, I agree a hundred percent. And so what we try to do with our work, both with the Mental Wealth Alliance and with the Acoma Project, a nonprofit that I founded that focuses on younger people. We try to teach people those signs and symptoms. So I have a really close girlfriend. Her name is Kathy Williams. She lost her son to suicide about 22 years ago. He was 15 years old. Mm-hmm. Tori and Leandris Graves is the young brother's name. And she and I will go around the country teaching people. So I'll give you a couple of the signs. Um, I've talked about sadness. That's obvious, right? Mm-hmm. I've talked about irritability. That's less obvious. People's eating habits change drastically, right? So if somebody normally eats a lot and now they don't want to eat anything or vice versa, that can be a warning sign. It can be a warning sign when you see changes in sleep behavior. They sleep a lot more than they used to. They sleep a lot less than they used to. Or they're up all night and sleeping all day, that kind of fatigue. Some of the other signs are people who talk about death. Maybe it's not their death, mm-hmm. but they kind of fixated on death as a thing. Those are all things to give you a clue if those things last and they hang around for more than two weeks, right? So if you're just kind mm-hmm. of seeing it off and on for a two-week period, that's when you know that person might need some help. I think the challenge is a lot of us don't take enough time to stop. I always call it knowing your baseline. We don't know from day to day sort of what average is for us, what is neutral for us, because we're always sort of moving. That's right. So if you don't know what neutral is, how do you know when it's like stuff is going really, really great and you're like really, really high or when stuff is really, really bad and you're really, really low? We've got to take time to sort of stop and figure out what that baseline is. So hopefully that helps in terms of just some of the things to look for. And you're looking for a cluster. It's not one one day and one the next. This the All of this stuff is kind of clustering together over a period of two weeks. How do you encourage somebody to get help? Because sometimes you are around people and you're like, okay, this person clearly needs to seek some help, but they don't want to. Or yeah. maybe you're in a relationship with somebody and they don't want to do therapy with yes. you yes. to try to fix things. How can you say, okay, and if they're very resistant to that, what are some things you can do? Hold on, Dr. Alfie. Let's, let's answer that when we come back. Okay. Dr. Alfie's here. This is World Mental Health Day 1010, and we're going to talk more with Dr. Alfie when we come back. It's The Breakfast Club. Good morning. Morning, everybody. It's DJ Envy and Yee, Charlamagne the Guy. We are The Breakfast Club. We're joined by Dr. Alfie. Today is World Mental Health Day, mm-hmm. and we recognize everything mental health. And we have Dr. Alfie here. Now, Yee, you just had a, a question? Right. I was asking how you encourage somebody to get help when you know 
that they need it. You see those signs. Or maybe you're in a relationship and you need to go to help together as a couple. So one thing I always try to encourage people to think about is, you know, I happen to be a person of faith and I believe there's one entity up there and it ain't me. That's right. And so what I try to remember is we can want somebody to do it, but if they don't want it for themselves, we can't make them do it. You know what I mean? And I think some of it, sometimes it's hard to accept that. It's even hard for me to accept that as a mental health provider, that people may come in, they kind of want help, but they don't really want to help. So they don't really want to do what I'm asking them to do to change things for the better. All I can do is take them where they are in the moment. And I think, so that's not the best answer. That's not an answer that makes us happy. But I think there are going to be times when people are just not going to want to do it. They're going to be resistant. Now, for those people who might be on the fence, I think things that we can do is encourage them by saying things like, I will go with you. Right. Even if I feel like I don't necessarily need the help in the moment, I will ride with you to the clinic. I will help you find somebody. I will call that person on your behalf. Those are the kinds of things that we can do to demonstrate to people that we believe in the value of it and we believe in the value of it and the potential of it to help them. I think one other thing we can do is we can demonstrate and be open like Charlemagne does all the time. Talk about how it benefited us. Right. So I went to this person. It helped me a lot. These are the ways in which it helped me. And then the final thing I think we can do is until a person's ready to go to care, we might try to find those kind of tools and resources that we can share with them that they can use to take care of themselves. I believe in meditation. So there are all these meditation apps. Some people like affirmation, setting intentions, those kind of deep breathing exercise. So just encouraging them with other things that they can do until such time as they're ready to go get that care. Yeah, sometimes people feel like also you don't want to desert someone, right. but it could be destroying you too, to That's be right. with someone or around somebody who you can see yeah. all these different signs, but you feel helpless as far as them not wanting to seek help. So what do you do about that for yourself? Like, I don't want to desert this person, That's right. but I don't feel like there's anything I can really do. That's right. So I think you acknowledge that and then you take time to take care of yourself first. And taking care of yourself first might mean you take that person in small doses, right? So it's like you want to be there, you want to offer support, but you. I think we can only do it in a way that allows us to take care of ourselves first. I think sometimes we get lost in, a lot of us, we want to help that person, we want to save that person, and we destroy ourselves in the process. And I always say, you can't be any good for anybody else if you're not good for yourself. That's right. So it's okay to take a step back and say, you know what? I've tried to help. I've tried to give them some ideas. I tried all this stuff you said, Dr. Alfie, and they ain't, they ain't feeling it. So let me just take a step back, and I'll go in at different points when I feel like I can manage it. And that way you don't drain yourself. You also don't have to feel like you're deserting that person, but you're also giving yourself the opportunity to say, you know, I'm doing everything I can. They don't want the help. I can't fix this for them. So those are some of the things I would say. You know, this time last year uh, we did our first ever mental wealth expo yeah. and we had uh, the second one this past weekend tell them tell them what you what you feel the mental wealth expo is oh my goodness the mental wealth expo is a celebration to me a celebration of black excellence black health black togetherness like literally like just black love all the things that we as black people need to help build and support our mental health and I'm so grateful to iHeart and you for having the vision and the mental wealth alliance for putting this together um, and for me, what it was, it was just an opportunity to see all kinds of people come together, all with one purpose, to uplift and support and name that our mental health as black people is important 
to acknowledge that there are things that are unique about who we mm-hmm. are that we got to pay attention to in terms of our mental health and to give people an opportunity to see all the different ways we can take care of mental health. So you had people talking about journaling, you had people talking about writing, you had people talking about the intersection of maternal health right. and mental health. And then you had all these amazing celebrities on stage. I'm going to tell you who really touched me was G Herbo. Yeah, at the event, and it was just just listening to him be such a young brother and be so wise about so many things. Um, and being I being open at that age, yes, I, I didn't start going to therapy till thirty six. He's having these conversations at twenty something. Yes, yeah. yes, twenty seven years old. So it was just that opportunity for all of us to come together in like love and peace and honestly, it sounds kind of hokey, but harmony around this topic of mental health. So that's what it is for me. It's like a vibe. It's like a good space to come and put let your hair down and know that you're among people who care about you, you know, that people who want to see you succeed mm-hmm. and just have these great conversations about mental health. What do people do after the, the Mental Wealth Expo? Like for those who came and they want to know the next steps, you know, in their journey of healing, what, what do they do? I think the first thing is to like really, ref- this is going to sound hokey, but this is me, this is the mental health professional in me, really reflect on the things that stood out to you that were meaningful for you. Because I think if you can reflect on those things, that gives you insight into what can I do? What is the next step for mm-hmm. me? So for some people, like last year we had folks, uh, yoga practitioners. Um, for some folks, they might reflect on, well, that yoga really spoke to me. I never tried that before. Let me go take a yoga class, right? Mm-hmm. For somebody else, that journaling workshop that they did or writing, getting their feelings out on paper and going to buy a journal um, with some beautiful black art on it, that might be the thing to inspire them. So it's, I really think you have to take stock of what was the thing that stood out to you? For many people, um, the first family of, of first family uh, of faith. There you go. The first family of faith. Having those folks there, the Roberts, uh, Sarah, Jakes, and Tere, mm-hmm. that might have been the thing. It's like the connection between spirituality and mental health. So if you can determine what was the one thing, or what were the two top things that stood out to you in that event, that's your entry point. That's where you need to go because that's what resonates with your spirit. And that's what's going to help you begin your journey to mental health. Yeah, even having somebody like Sarah Jakes there and Pastor Torrey, when they have the conversation about, you know, um, even though they believe in God, Sarah goes to a therapist, you know, Torrey goes to a therapist. Hearing somebody say, look, yes, I believe in God, but I go to therapy. How important is is, is that, you think? It normalizes it, Mm -hmm. right? What it says to people is it doesn't have to be an either or. And you need somebody like the first family of faith, like you said, who are in the public eye, who are very open and honest about their challenges. I remember listening to them and just thinking, well, they just like really putting it out there, right? Mm-hmm. And so I've listened to Pastor Ture talk about parenting and how he parents, you know, black black men and, and his own children, um, his and Sarah's children. And I think having somebody say that, somebody you respect, somebody you honor, somebody you value, if they say that even in that big public eye, they have things that they struggle with and therapy is helpful for them, then that makes it that much easier for each the rest of us to say, oh, well, maybe that's something I can try too. If it mm-hmm. worked for them, maybe it can work for me. I know Absolutely. you have to go, but I, I got a question. Yeah. Um, as far as kids and getting into therapy, yeah. do you feel like in middle school, high school, yeah. even elementary school, that yeah. there should be some type of therapy in the curriculum where maybe, you know, a, you know, a couple of kids go out and talk to a therapist just to get from the base of maybe something that's happening that the parents might not know? 
Yes, that's the simple answer to your question. And at the Acoma Project, we have a program that does just that. We don't go into schools, but we have five free sessions of virtual therapy um, for the sole purpose of introducing people between the ages of 13 and 30 who've never gone to therapy to introduce them to therapy. Because you're right. I mean, I think if you don't know, it's like this 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 void and you just kind of fill it with all this stuff. And sometimes what you fill it with is the wrong ideas about what therapy is. Mm-hmm. But if somebody can introduce you to the concept um, at a young age, then it normalizes it so that for the rest of your life, right, even when you have your own kids, you're like, well, I did it when I was in middle school. You can do it, too. So I think what we can do with schools is have a curriculum that's culturally relevant, mm-hmm. right, that talks about everything we've been talking about today so that it doesn't seem so weird and distant and like it's only for those people over there. It's not for us. So I think you're right. Yes, we could have something like that. I think in some ways people are trying to do that, like little nonprofits like the Acoma Project and Mental Wealth Alliance, some of these other folks. But having something streamlined and like a curriculum for that, I think, could be really powerful. And and also, too, you know, this morning we discussed the mental health issues that Army veterans are experiencing. So, So what can this country do to better assist veterans? I think the main thing that we can do is encourage, our, my father's a, a retired Navy man, I think one thing we can do is encourage destigmatizing mental illness so that if you are a service person, it is normalized for you to get help within that context. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes the struggle is, I've heard many service people say this, that I can seek the help, but what kind of impact is that going to have on my career? Mm. And so having the opportunity to know that normalizing mental health when you go seek help for your own well-being, your mental well-being, that that's not something that you're going to get penalized for. Mm -hmm. That's a part of it. But that only comes from us advocating and continuing to do what you all are doing today, which is normalizing mental health. I think as well, until we get to that point, you know, encouraging our family members who are service members to get help if they need to outside of the military, right? If they need to go to private care, there's Mm -hmm. nothing wrong with that, right? And that's something that they can keep to themselves, but they're also bettering themselves at the same time. So it doesn't have to be public. I tell people all the time, if if you take meds, right, for your mental health, that's nobody's business but yours. You don't Mm -hmm. need to run around telling people you're taking meds. Take those meds to take care of yourself. And I think the same thing is true for mental health for our veterans. If you need the help, Find the spaces that are not going to judge you, that are going to allow you to be yourself, to get that care and get the help, because that's what's most important at the end of the day. That's right. Well, we appreciate right. you joining us today on Thanks, World man. Mental Health Day. I appreciate Dr. Alvey so much because, you know, the, the, you can you can have the vision. Like, I can have the vision for the Mental Wealth Alliance, but you need somebody to help you execute it. That's Dr. Alfie Lowe. You can have the vision for the Mental Wealth Expo, but you got to have somebody who can execute it for you. That's Dr. Alfie. So I thank you so much. Oh my God. Thank you so much. Thank you. And you know, I wanted to ask you before we get into rumors, because this is going to be one of the topics. Um, Some of Kanye West's friends are saying they feel he's in the midst of a psychiatric episode, and we're going to talk about that. But as an expert, you know, what would you say about that? And what would you say can be helpful? (sighs) I think it's a challenge because Kanye says these things that are so outlandish. When I look at it, I'm like, clearly something is not right. Do you know what I'm saying? And so I don't want to say that all of his problems have to do with whatever kind of mental health struggles he's having. But I do think we owe, we have to kind of take a step back for me and give him a little bit of grace because he has a diagnosis. So clearly there is something going on. So when I see these like really wild outlandish things like the White Lives Matter t-shirts and all that, I think to myself, you know, I don't know if that's necessarily him just pulling a stunt. I wonder how much of that has to do with his mental health. And when you're in the public eye like that, we had a conversation about that at uh, the expo. Being in the public eye, it's almost like there's no filter. So for many of us, we'll make those mistakes, right? Somebody else with bipolar disorder will make a mistake. 
the world doesn't see it because they're not famous. So I think there's this perfect, awful storm of he's going through some of these episodes and he's in the public eye. And so there's nowhere to hide it. You know what I'm saying? It's all out there. So I, my, what my wish for him is that somebody would be able to wrap their arms around him and just kind of pull him back a little bit and say, look, man, let's get this stuff under control first. And then you can go out there and be a genius. But, but until he has that, I think we're going to continue to see what we've been seeing. So in my opinion, as you, you know, as, you, as an expert and somebody who's been in this space a long time, I think Kanye needs a lot more support. Okay. Okay. Well, Dr. Alfie, we appreciate you for joining us this morning. Thank you. I appreciate being here. I appreciate all of you. And we got rumors on the way. It's The Breakfast Club. Good morning. Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elliot Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. Join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. We gather a seasoned elder, myself as the middle generation, and a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations, prepare to engage or hear perspectives that literally no one else has had. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the LA Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcasts.